Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Hi, my name is Alex. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. I'm really pleased uh, to be here today. I, um, this meeting, the uh, kitchen sink, sink meeting, has been very important to me and my recovery over the several years that I've been in program. And uh, as I look through these windows, I see the faces of a lot of people who have been really important to me. Um, during the uh, the before times, there was never much of a chance that I would miss uh, kitchen sink. And somehow during uh, the quarantine of the pandemic, uh, I never managed to wake up early enough to make it to this meeting. So uh, thank you, Mark, for asking me to lead. Um, I want to talk today about uh, control, and I want to talk about willingness, and I want to talk about surrender. Um, to the newcomers, whether you identified uh, yourselves or not, welcome. Uh, you're in the right place. I want to say to you uh, something that I heard when I was a newcomer from a long-timer at a meeting. Uh, they said, uh, the war is over, and you lost. It's time to surrender. And um, surrender came really hard for me because I have um, my entire life, since I was a little kid, I have sought, uh, I've always been kind of a scared person. I've always been kind of uh, afraid that I'm going to be dominated that I'm going to be, uh, uh, you know, beaten up or controlled. And um, in, I grew up in a home uh, which was a loving home, um, but my father sort of uh, was a very big personality. He was a really um, explosive guy, and he was explosive with everything. He was explosive with his love and his anger and his laughter and um, but that made for a really um, unpredictable uh, household. And I kind of learned, I feel like um, I learned to be the type of person that uh, reads the temperature of, of everyone and reads the temperature of a room when I come into it. And I, and I try to control I try to. I want to control uh, the people around me. I want to control what. I want to control everything. In the big book on page sixty, it talks about uh, being uh, the actor who wants to control uh, the lights and the scenery and um, how every how the play comes off. And that's uh, that's always been me. And the primary uh, way that I have tried to control this fear is with food. Since I was very little, I have a lot of memories of um, diving into food and wanting to use it to uh, comfort myself. Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, I remember my father used to call me the, he used to call me the eating machine. 
and uh, my nickname growing up was uh, Fat Boy and Gordy, which is sort of a shortening of the Spanish for Gordo. And, um, you know, so try that on for, for, for size and see how that, uh, what that does to your uh, self-image. Um, but it was, I'm 53 years old. I came to OA when I was 49. And uh, before that, for the four and a half decades that I lived my life, I thought that um, I had a problem with food. I thought that food was my problem. Um, when I showed up at OA, I learned that uh, food was not my problem. That food was my solution to my problem. My problem is that I have this hole inside of me. I have a spiritual hole inside of me. And uh, that hole can only be filled, or I've, I've believed that that hole could only be filled by food and applause. And there's never, ever enough of either. Um, I've always been the variety of compulsive overeater that um, sought to pack myself up. I like to, um, really, I've said before, I, I, I treat myself like I'm a FedEx box, and I try to fill, pack myself up, which is with as much pa packing uh, uh, material to protect the little valuable thing inside the box. And um, all of these were efforts to control my, control the situation. And um, it wasn't until I came to OA that I realized that the control that I was seeking to have with the food, the control that I was seeking to have by trying to control and manipulate people around me and, and make every situation just the way I needed to be and uh, uh, focus very much on getting you to like me and uh, all of that. It was an illusion. Um, I never really had control um, over anything. Um, what I had was... Uh, a lot of fear, and um, I didn't know what to do with the fear. So I ate, and um, I never was a person who uh, got to a, uh, a, a very, very high weight. My highest weight was uh, 272 pounds, that I that my recorded weight, but. Um, and, and early on in OA, I, I felt really uh, guilty in meetings when people would talk about, you know, uh, uh, struggling with a lot more weight than I was struggling with and feeling like I didn't belong. And uh, my sponsor, uh, you know, as, he, as he's done many times in the previous years, said, you know, shut up and be grateful that um, – that that was not something that uh, that I had to contend with. Um, I feel guilty about everything.
know, I feel scared of everything. I wish that I could say that uh, that by by becoming abstinent from the foods that were troubling me so much, my thing really was uh, sugar and flour, and especially the combination of sugar and flour. That's the way uh, I really love to rock uh, in uh, with my eating. I also. Uh, really love to isolate and eat on my own. And it would have been, you know, most nobody ever really saw any of my serious eating. That was all done in secret. Um, and then once I got old enough to have a car, then I'm just this rolling, uh, rolling, you know, self-contained uh, box that could, I could hide everything that I was uh, compulsively eating. The passenger seat of my car would, you'd never see the, the bottom of the seat you'd never seen the you'd never see it because it would always be covered with you know bags and packages of of uh, food and um it would be great if by abstaining from the sugar and flour that my problem would be solved you know but um if abstaining if sugar and flour were my actual problem then the abstinence of, of those things would solve my problem. And it's not. I'm still, I still contend with fear. I still deal with a desire to control. Um, the thing that has addressed my problem um, have been the 12 steps. And I came to them really hard. A, a, will, a willingness did not come easy for me. I, um, for one thing, I spend uh, most of my adult life as a committed atheist. I, uh, I identified as someone who, you know, who didn't uh, believe in God and was not a sucker and didn't, uh, you know, base my life on uh, some magic grandpa in the sky. And uh, I thought that I was... Uh, Again, uh, controlling things by knowing that I was that that I knew better, that I was um, relying on my reason rather than uh, what other people were doing was was relying on faith. But I, I I recognized once I started working this program that when I thought that I didn't have a, a higher power, uh, when I that I didn't believe in God, I realized that. Um, I did believe in God, and I thought it was me. I thought I was the one who was in charge of everything. I thought I was simultaneously uh, the, the, the person that the entire universe revolves around and uh, simultaneously the miserable piece of shit that uh, is at the bottom of the, of, of, of the shoes. Um, that wonderful, that wonderful, uh, sorry, that's my ride. I, um, I'm downtown L.A., so it gets a little loud here sometimes. But it was the 12 steps that um, changed the way that I um, uh, lived my life. I always... Um, 
I like to disappear into myself. Because I, because I was always so scared as a kid, I developed these, these qualities. Um, um, later on, they, I'd identify them as character defects. Um, although I once went to the birthday party, the OA birthday party, and if you've never been to the OA birthday party, I really urge you to go. It's, it's a transformative experience. But um, I heard somebody at the OA birthday party refer to saying that they didn't like uh, the phrase character defects. They prefer to think of them as survival traits. And I really relate to that because every one of my character defects, I could trace them back to when I was a kid because they were traits that I took on to try to survive my situation. I was trying to survive all this fear and survive this, you know, um, anxiety that I had. And one of the things that I took on was this uh, in, this uh, uh, habit to isolate. Um, I'd go into the what I'd call the bunker of my head. And inside the bunker, uh, I would be able to, again, be in control of the entire universe. I could um, uh, wage all those, re-wage all those fights that I had from years ago when this time I'm going to say all the things that I... Uh, that I should have said at the time. Uh, it's the place where I can, um, you know, also, you know, throw parades to how awesome I am. You know, I can, I'm in that bunker and inside my head. The problem uh, with being inside the bunker is um, I think that I'm being isolated from fear. There, I think that I'm being insulated from everything that scares me. Um, when in fact, all I'm insulating myself from is God and uh, insulating myself from my fellow man. You know, uh, I'm insulating myself from all of the things that uh, would actually help me. Um, the things that I'm running away from are the things that I actually need. And I didn't really know that until I came to OA. Um, for those of you who are new um, and you're here at a meeting for the first time, I can tell you that, at least in my experience, walking in the door for the first time was, if not the, hard, the scariest thing that I, and hardest thing I've done in this program, it's pretty close to the top. So if you showed up here today for the first time, you've already done uh, one of the hardest things you're going to have to do in this program. Sorry, uh, five minutes. Thank you, Vincent. Um, the next hardest thing for me was to actually ask someone in the program to help me. I came to meetings for um, a year before I asked someone to sponsor me. I thought, once again, I can do it myself. Uh, I'm going to have to I'm gonna control all this myself. I took on an abs. I came to meetings and I took on an abstinence that I uh, made up. I decided in those days that my problem was not sugar, that my problem was just flour and that uh, uh, I can make up my own abstinence. And uh, then I ended up, uh, you know, having meals where my lunch would be three Snickers bars. And I thought that that was abstinent. And uh, that all sort of like uh, had predictable results and, and collapsed on me. And 
One day I decided that I was gonna finally um, ask this uh, this one guy to, to, to help me. And uh, I was going to go to this one meeting, the Serenity Sunday meeting, where I know I had seen him before. And I was going to, if he was there, I was going to go up and talk to him about um, sponsoring me. And when I showed up, he was the lead speaker. And uh, that was probably one of the first uh, God shots that I experienced in this program. Um, it's funny. I said earlier that I spent most of my adult life as a, as an atheist, and uh, um, it reminds me that not long ago, when somebody in program said to me, "You know, for for a person who identifies as an atheist, you sure talk about God a lot." And uh, I, that's the spiritual change that I've experienced in the program is. Um, this idea that I, when I worked at the sponsor, the hardest thing for me was the willingness uh, to to uh, admit to another person that I needed help. And then after that, the hardest part was the willingness to, uh, uh, just, the, just the willingness to believe that there was a power greater than myself. Um, I really, I really threw, put my foot on the brakes when it came to trying to, to, to admit that, I, I just really, I really put a stop to it when we got to step three. Um, uh, and I was struggling with it. And I remember going to a meeting and uh, talking to a fellow and I said, you know, man, I just, I don't know, I don't know if I can accept that there's a power greater than myself. And the fellow said to me, uh, well, do you believe in gravity? Do you believe that gravity is a power greater than yourself? Because if not, there's a nice tall building over there you can step off of and, and see how much power you have over it. And that's kind of a joke, but in, in a way, that, 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 that silly thing opened up this tiny crack of willingness for me because it made me see that, of course, of course, I have no power over gravity. Power is gravity is a power greater than myself. If I go to the ocean, I cannot stop the waves. Those are powers greater than myself. Um, and so I, by giving up that that by letting go of the illusion of control and allowing my, myself to have a little bit of willingness, I was able to surrender. And when I surrendered, when I began to surrender, that was the beginning of the end of my suffering and the beginning of my recovery. Um, there's so much to be found in these steps. But I, I, again, as I, look at the, as I look at the mosaic of faces, it just... It makes me remember how alone I was. And when I came to meetings uh, and started to see that people were going through what I was going through um, and started working these steps that had been worked on so many times by so many people before, it really, every time I think of it, I think of what a beautiful experience I've been gifted with. There was this there was this guy, this, this stock analyst in New York back in the 30s, who uh, got the message. And um, he went off to live his life, and he got into some trouble in Akron, Ohio, and he met this doctor there, and he gave him the message. And the doctor found recovery. And together, these two guys kept passing around this message. And as time went on, 
that message got passed to this guy. I believe his name was Red, and he got recovery. And then Red passed that message on to a guy named Michael Blanc, and Michael Blanc got recovery. And then Michael Blanc got that, passed that message on to a guy named Don, and Don got recovery. And then that guy Don passed on that message to me, and then I got recovery. And now I'm passing that message on to you. So um, we're not alone. Everybody who's worked these steps is standing here right with us, right now. Um, it's okay to be afraid. I'm afraid too, man. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, but um, I can turn over that fear now and um, give my, 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 my faith in the higher power and in this fellowship that has helped me so much. So thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise hand icon. So... Here we go. Melissa. Hi, Alex. Hi, everybody. Thank you for your share today. Um, can you share with us what your daily spiritual routine looks like? Yes, thank you, Melissa, for asking that. Um, as is stated, uh, I, I do this imperfectly, but uh, every morning what I attempt to do is I get up and I do some uh, writing. I was very... Um, Resistant of writing before, and now I just uh, uh, just love it. I I, uh, I feel like I can really access um, a, a way to sort of clear out and see what's really going on inside of me. Um, and then I read uh, uh, the OA for today book, whatever the day happens to be, and then I write for another five minutes. I set a timer, write for five minutes uh, on that. And then I uh, go through the series of uh, prayers uh, from page uh, 86 of the big book. Um, I do the serenity prayer and the seven-step prayer. And the, the, I read the uh, um, uh, St. Francis prayer. Um, all these prayers. I'm, you know, I, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an atheist who acts like he's not an atheist. I just uh, pray every day. And... Um, that's what I. That's 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 pretty much what I do every morning. Is is I is I write and I read the literature and I write on it some more and then I uh, pray. If I have a resentment towards someone, which is not infrequent, I make sure to pray about that person, pray for that person, and I'm telling you, that really works. That really works. Um, um, if I think it was from the great Joe and Charlie things, if like if you have a resentment. And you don't want to let go with it, you know. For God's sakes, don't pray for that person because if you do, it's going to be slipped. It's going to be taken away, and that's what's happened to me. Uh, so um, I hope that answers the question. Thanks, uh, Susan B. Hi, Alex. Thank you for your beautiful share. Really, thank you, and wow, great reminder that. Great reminders. Thank you. I was wondering how you um, work through 
shame when shame comes up? Wow, that's such a great question. I feel like that's at the bottom of almost everything. Um, I, I, I was thinking about it this morning because I, I, I so often catch myself um, in the morning or when I'm, you know, I'm always doing, uh, I'm always body checking. You know, I'm always like, uh, I don't even realize it. I get up out of bed and uh, I get up and I look in the mirror and my hands just immediately start pinching my body and start, you know, adjusting. Like I'm this time I'm going to be able to remove it with my hands or something you know, the, the fat from whatever. Um, and that's, and I feel like that's uh, shame. And um, the only thing I can say, the only, when it comes to the shame or the fear or the lack of control, the only thing that has really, in my experience, helped me is when I uh, turn my attention in some way to being of service to somebody else. Because I just get, I get lost inside, like I said, the bunker. And the only thing that sucks me out of the bunker is to try to be helpful to somebody else. Because I'm, you know, I have all these, as I, you know, all this shame and all these fears and stuff. And, um, and it's caused me to be a selfish, self-centered son of a bitch and out of survival, you know. And, um, but when I, when I, turn my focus towards being helpful to someone else in any way, just checking on somebody or being of service, you know, in some way, then that's a bit of time that I'm not in the bunker, that I'm being helpful. And it becomes an estimable act. And suddenly the self-esteem I don't feel starts to change because I'm doing esteemable acts. And the shame starts to dissipate, or at the very least, for that moment, I am my attention is on being useful to God or to somebody else. So, I think that's the only way for me that I've been able to to deal with it. Thanks for asking that. Thank you so much, Joylene. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for your share. Uh, my question for you is: How long did it take you to know what your abstinence was? Mm. Thank you. Um, well, um, the important thing is, uh, in my experience, the best the best way to handle that was to work with a sponsor and uh, run everything by my sponsor. Just recently, I adjusted part of my uh, abstinence, and I, you know, my instinct was to do it on my own and you know uh, figure it all out. And I'm glad that I didn't do that. I instead, you know called my sponsor and said, what do, you, what do you think of this? Because a lot of times uh, when I have a brilliant thought and I share it with, with someone like my sponsor, uh, it's pointed out to me how fucking crazy that is or how uh, um, unreasonable that is. Um, so uh, when you're choosing an abstinence, I mean um, – a lot of times, I, I would really recommend that it be done with with, uh, with the help of somebody else, with a sponsor. Um, if you're, you're a newcomer, right? Um, don't be like uh, don't be like me. Don't come to meetings for a year and a half before you ask somebody for help. You know, this meeting is filled with a lot of people who are um, available sponsors and have terrific recovery. 
Um, there's a program phrase they say that the, uh, the 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 sheep in the herd who hang out on the outside of the herd, those are the ones that get picked off by the wolves. But the ones that go into the center of the herd, they're protected. And I always am, have always been a guy who hung out in the outskirts. And, uh, you know, and so I got a lot of scars from the wolves staring at me, you know. Um, so I would recommend that when you're when when it comes time, you're, you you keep coming to these meetings. It comes time to try to choose an abstinence. Um, ask somebody to help you. I hope that helps. Vincent. So hey Alex, uh, thank you for your share. That was really really good. Um, you said that the things that you isolated yourself from the most were in truth the ones that you needed. Can you elaborate on that or give some examples? Yeah. Um, I'm, um, I, I'm from, uh, it's probably also, it's also an American thing, but I'm from a culture, I grew up in a culture, it's probably not, sim- not dissimilar from yours, Vincent, um, uh, a machismo culture where you're not supposed to ask anybody for help. You're not supposed to, you know, a man is not supposed to, uh, be weak. A man is not. A man is certainly not supposed to care about the size of his waist, and is not supposed to care about the way he looks. And um, and so I, I I I had to keep this sort of image, this idea that I had it all together. And so I didn't. Um, I didn't want to reach out to people who could be able to, who could possibly help me. I didn't want to admit. Um, uh, my weakness. I didn't want to um, allow myself to be vulnerable to somebody who could actually help me. And um, ironically, uh, the strength of the program and the recovery that I found has been attached to my ability to admit my weakness. My sponsor taught me that uh, I'm only as sick as my secrets. And um, so something as simple, not as simple, but something like uh, the fourth step and turning that fourth step over to my sponsor, um, that's the kind, you know, really taking a real inventory, honest look at myself, and then turning around and admitting that to God and to another human being uh, is something that I completely locked myself away from. Um, and once I did it... Um, I got, you know, as another book and program says, I got a new pair of glasses. I got to see the world in an entirely different way. One where I didn't have to be so dominated by my fear. I didn't, and I didn't know that that was possible. You know, I didn't know that. Um, so that's an exa- that, that's what I mean when I say, like, I, I, I was using my, my uh, I was trying to just shut off from everyone and everything that could help me. And one of the things I was shutting myself off from is the ability to to um, turn over all these fears and anxiety I had to a power greater than myself. I really I shut myself off to all concepts of God. Um, and um, because I, I somehow thought that that was um, um, that was going to control my 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 anger, my fear, my shame, my resentment, my jealousy, and uh, it didn't do that. It just kept me from the thing that I needed to give me uh, relief. So, 
I hope that helps. I don't know if that answers your question, but thanks, Vincent. Nancy. Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for your lead. Great to see you here. Um, you talked a bit about your character defects or survival traits. Um, I was wondering, can you talk a little bit more about the process of working steps six and seven and um, kind of like what you did around character defects that kept on recurring and causing you great amount of pain? Uh, yeah, that's my question. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the great things about sponsorship, uh, being a sponsor, is that uh, when you take someone through the steps, you are going through the steps, each one again yourself. And so I remember the first time going through, or, or not even that long ago, going through uh, step six and seven with a sponsee, and I thought, you know, I should look at the, the notebook I carried that I wrote to write out all of my uh, character defects. And I looked at this page, it had like 18 or 19 character defects, and like all but w only one had been removed. Everything else was still dogging me, you know? Um, Step six tells us uh, uh, to, to identify these character defects and become willing. That's all step six asks us to do, is become willing to, to ask God to remove them. And step seven is where we humbly ask God to do it. Um, now, it doesn't mean that we're not taking steps. Um, I have a, 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 a whole list of character defects like procrastination and um, uh, I have this uh, uh, awful nagging uh, fear of making telephone calls and writing emails when it comes to telephone and email I just have this irrational sort of I have to do it perfectly you know and, and of course perfectionism is another character defect where if I don't think I can execute something to perfection I don't even start and so then uh, things pile up and pile up and pile up, and that's, you know. Um, so I, I, I become willing uh, to, to say, um, I want these removed. Um, and then I, I find the humility to ask God to remove them. And then with help from my sponsor, I just keep addressing it. And if I'm afraid of the telephone, that means that, Maybe today I'll be willing to make some phone calls that I have to make. Um, and I just find a little bit more willingness and a little bit more willingness. And um, since looking at that list of the character defects, I can now uh, look at it and know that there is progress made on all of them. Um, but it's a lifetime. I feel like it's a lifetime job. You know, some of these things are hard. They, they, they die hard. Uh, because I, they're like so attached to my personality and my identity. But um, that's, the part of the, that's the part of the program that has to do with humility, willingness and humility of just um, asking, you know, really honestly looking at them and asking that they be removed and then um, praying on it and taking the steps one day at a time. Uh, um, worked many with. times. Thank you, Vincent. Julie. Thanks, Alex. Good to see you. Um, please pick like one or two areas in your life and how they've been affected by uh, practicing these principles in all your affairs. 
The number one being that um, my focus has, um, I try to find every day a way in which I can be of use to somebody, if I can be helpful to someone. Um, you know, the program can basically, I, I heard somebody say this, and I totally think it's true, the program is basically broken down into three things. Trust God, clean house, help others. And when I'm, um, when I'm trusting God, and I don't feel like I have to run the show. I have, a, I, have a, I have my phone. I have an alarm. This is something, you talk about something that would have never happened before program. I have a phone. On my phone, I have an alarm that goes off four times a day. And when it goes off, it just says a message that says, I am no longer running the show. God's will, not mine, be done. I, I need the phone to remind me that I'm not in charge. You know? And if I do that, and I uh, um, uh, try to be of help to somebody, then I'm living an entirely, it's a totally different design for living than I was living before, which was just, you know, in the bunker, fighting my wars, protecting myself. Um, it's so much better. It's so much easier, you know. <laughs> Thanks. Do we have... Uh, we're we're out of time, Alex. Thank you, Vincent. Thank you, everyone.